I'm excited to teach this. I need you to pay attention to the details. Otherwise, I promise you, when you leave here, you go straight to Pastor Kevin and say, we're done. You're going you're to get the wrong message if you don't pay attention to the details. It might sound more like a prosperity gospel, or I might, I'm, I'm trying to push you, put you in a place, and I feel like the Lord has a message for us that way, but um, I really want you to, to pay attention to the details. So, second, I need to give you some tools. Some, I need to, we need to talk about some things that we talked about before. The first is the same. Um, you guys ready? All right. You're not smart enough to manipulate God. All right? You're also not dumb enough to mess up his plans. Right? So none of you guys are on, you're on neither one of those spectrums, okay? Um, when we get, as we go through this, you might think I'm saying that you can manipulate God. All right? The answer is no. I just want to start there. I want to start from that place. You may also think that um, you're not worthy or you're somehow dumb enough where you, or I'm using the word dumb, you can replace that for whatever you want, but you might think that you can mess it up, and I'm telling you that you can't, right? He is sovereign. Um, all right, another uh, super critical tool, and why this on, on my mind, I do, like, so we've been praying, like, during the communion time, we've been, we've been praying together a lot. I still have, I have a desire, that's why I kind of push through communion a little bit faster this time, is because if the Lord, depending on how this works out, I still want to pray. And I think after we get through the message, you guys will understand kind of why I want to pray, and I have some very specific things to pray for. So I don't know if time will allow, but I'm gonna, we just going to move forward. All right? Amen? Amen? You guys will pray. Amen? Amen? All right, all right, I'm holding you to that. All right, so the, the second tool is Philippians 2, 3 and through 4. Uh, again, this, will, this should come full life as we get into the teaching. <clears throat> I'm going to read it to you so that you have it fresh in your mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. As we've taught, the Lord has brought that verse as to be a springboard or overriding theme on many of the teachings that we've had through James. That should sound familiar to you. I want you to kind of hold that in your mind as we go through the text. All right? So now I just need you to turn to James chapter 3, and we'll begin with the text. <clears throat> if you're there, amen? amen? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking is, confusion and every evil thing are, are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires from, for pleasure that warn your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, 
yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. All right. All right. So we've been through, we've talked about trials. We've talked about the tongue, which was a really hard teaching last week. I feel like how many of you guys even thought about it the week from week to week? Right. I was having a hard time, but it, it spared me some sin. Right. Like I, I sidestepped some some maybe some bad thoughts here. Um, there is some pretty cool fundamental things that we can lean on as believers. And I want to bring those things out. You guys ready? ready? All right. Verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. So you, one could ask the question, who is wise among us? Like, how do we get there, right? That's really a, ref- it should be a refresher course for us. So I just want you, I've got it on the board. I'll do better by just looking at it. I'm going to turn to Proverbs 1. Right. So Proverbs 1, this should be on the board, but verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right? A lot of people, you've heard that verse over and over again, but how many of you guys fear the Lord? All right, so we got to get start. If you're there, uh, go down to verse 20, but verse 20 says this. It says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out, I'm going to just keep going, in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words, right? So you, when, you, when you're reading this vo- you understand, you get the idea that wisdom is freely given. It's not something that's difficult or God's not hiding that. But if you would say that God's had it, you, all you would have to do is go over to Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 7. This is, this is Solomon speaking again. Again, this should be a refresher from Sunday. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice from, for understanding, if you seek her as silver, right? So instead of seeking money, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And verse 6 is important. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. All right? So having said that, there's no excuse for us to look at verse 1, who was wise and understanding among you? That should be all of us, right? Because we're, we should have the habit or the discipline. I'll take that back. We should have the desire right? You don't really have to have discipline to like watch TV every day, right? Because you have a desire to watch TV every day. 
right? Nobody has discipline to eat because we have a desire to eat every day. Does that make sense? So you don't uh, discipline may be the wrong word, but we should have a desire for God's and we should search for it. It says search as if it's a treasure. This is the treasure map, right? It's all in here. All of the nuggets are in here. We have to find them and then we have to believe that that's what it is, right? A lot of times we, we see something like, oh, and we even say it. We'd be like, that's a nugget, right? I mean, I mean, many people have said that, but then are you acting as if that's really what it is? Are you holding it tight, right? So if you have gold, I know many people, I'm not going to look at you at all, but um, most people's gold is in their safe. It's tucked in somewhere where it's precious to them. Your Bible, the Word of God, that's what that should be to you. All right? I know it's a Wednesday. I know it's tough. But we need to be searching. We need to be looking to understand. And that is not, that's not a leadership quality. I mean, it is a leadership quality, but it's not, like, reserved for that. It should be, it's free. So if you feel like you're, and then another point here. That is the basis for wisdom. So you could be like practically very, very wise or really, really smart. You could be a moron. Because you're not starting at the correct origin. So even though you sound great and worldly people might think they, like you might get a lot of attention from them, if you're, if you're not starting from the base of Christ, you're really just talking. You're really just talking. All right. So what do we do with that? So let me read the verse again. It says, who is wise and understand among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. So I want to talk about um, horses for a second. We're going to take a, a small detour here. And I want to talk about horses. I'm not a horse guy, but I want to read to you Job 39, 19 through 25. It says this. Have, this, this is God addressing Job. It says, have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clashes of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him and the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierce rage Nor does he halt, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet is sound. At the last of the trumpet, he says, aha, he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting. Right? So when you talk about a horse, and we've seen this in like every movie, right? A horse, it's a bad animal, right? It's big, it's strong, and it's not afraid of anything. And that's, what God, that's how God made it. it didn't, he didn't make horses to be, he made them to be what it says he made them to be, right? So, um, I want to give you this example. Uh, a couple years ago, I went to like, and I'm a, like, I'm a city guy, so I don't have any horse experience. I just want y'all to know I'm probably going to mess up some of the, the terms here, but um, this is an example that I, that I think can really apply to the scripture. So, I went, this is my first time, and I spent the night at a horse, like a, um, it's like a ranch or where you, like, you take in injured horses, okay? And um, I really didn't understand Job until I stood next to a Mustang. 
And Mustangs are not like super large horses. They're, I think they're on the small side, but um, there's a special term for it. But the, like its shoulders were here. And so that means the head is here this kind of way, right? So it's, you know, its back is my height, and it's a little bit taller. I mean, it's, you know, it's taller, but then it's like 800 pounds of muscle. So I asked the lady, so we, they had the, the lady who owned the ranch. She was super small, like five foot, 100 pounds. And I was like, man, you know, I'm looking at her, looking at the horses. And if there was a lot and the horses was kind of moving, they, they run like 35 mile an hour. So like when they're just strutting, they're moving way faster than you, could, the, the, you would think. And so I asked the lady, I said, why do you, like, why do you do what you do? And why do you like horses? as we were kind of, we were, you had to help her. So we were like feeding or something like that. And she said, well, I like to deal with these horses because they don't have to ride me around here. But when I, when I get saddled on my horse and I have this relationship, the horse chooses to partner with me on the ride. Right. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't really get it. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't like a, like a moment for me. It wasn't like, oh, my God, that's so deep. It wasn't like that at all. <laughs> Until it came time for me to do what it was time for me to do. It was time for me to ride on the horse. And they were like, you got to get up there. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. You know what I mean? And so <clears throat> I get up on the horse. And um, I get up on a horse, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I could tell that the horse made the decision that he was going to work with me anyway. Right? And we were, we were just, they, it was like a predetermined path, and I walked on it. And I don't know how you're supposed to pull one way or the next. So I did whatever. And I could tell the horse was like, man, we don't really go that way. But <laughs> I'm going to kind of limp along with you, and, and we're going to work it out. You understand what I'm saying? But get this. We went around a couple times, and I mean, I felt like I was tall, you know? And so I'm kind of like on it, and I get off. My daughter was, I don't want to lie in church, so let's just call her three. I'll put my daughter on that horse. And then I had a, the, and, and I walked the horse around with my daughter on it. Okay. At any point in time, any wiggle, any kick, that's a bad day for me, right? But I trusted the horse after riding and having that experience and spending, I, it was like the night, the next day. So after spending the night with them, so to speak, <clears throat> I trusted the horse. Meekness sounds a lot like weakness, but meekness is a lot like that horse. Full of strength, full of vigor but deciding to meet me where I was and partnering with me and walking me along that path, even though I had no idea what I was doing. So when James says, who is wise and understanding among you, all of you guys, I mean, this is Wednesday night, and I'm looking at the crowd. All of you guys have a decent understanding of God's word. Let him show good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Do not use the wisdom of God to then go beat someone else up, 
even inside the same building that's, that's not capable. Don't let the horse outshine you. So I, I got this application question here. What does your relationship with the unskilled look like, right? Would people you meet and you teach or you talk to about Jesus is it in meekness, not so much that I got on a horse, I'm a grown-up. Would they put their child in your hand because of your relationship with the Lord? Because that's what people do with the horses all day long, right? The horse is meek enough to where, I mean, that, like I said, a Mustang 800 to, I looked it up, it was like 800 to 1,000 pounds. And you'll put a three-year-old on his back and it's gentle enough to walk that three-year-old around a course without you even think. Like, none of you guys are going to call Child Protective Services on me. Nothing I did was crazy, right? Could someone do that with their child or their wife to you? You guys catch it? You get the picture? All right. So, uh, verse 14. And this is kind of dear to me. All right. Um, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where evil and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. All right. So a couple things. What does this look like? Right? So when I looked at this, I just highlighted bitter, self-seeking. But what got me was earthly, sensual, and demonic. And I, this is not of the kingdom of God. So to, just to get a picture of what this really looks like, and I, and I really want you guys to, 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 to go with me here. I want you to read. This is a verse that everybody's heard before, but I want you to, to hear this now, this is what the Lord, this is what the Bible says the enemy is, what Satan says. But I want you to just really listen to it and, and understand how familiar it sounds. So if you put the, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 13 through 15 up. For you have said, this is the devil speaking, in your heart. I mean, this is what, he's going to say this. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So above everybody else. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you should be brought down this yet you should be brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. Now we read that and we're like, because we know that's what Satan said. So we're like, that's the worst thing to say ever. But I'm gonna tell you, um, when you think back, and I don't know how many of you guys were like raised by public school, or if you look at poems, all Satan is saying is, I'm going to be the best. I want to be number one. I want to be on top. Who doesn't say that? Who wasn't raised to say, I'm going to push the hardest. I'm going to lift the most weights. I'm going to sprint the fastest. I'm going to be the best at my job. I, 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 me, me, me. If you go to public schools right now, they're probably chanting some Invictus or some story or some poem that tells your kids, hey, push now, be number one, never give up, get on top, you deserve it, you are better. 
So we read this, and because it's in Isaiah, and because we've read our Bibles a bunch of times, we kind of say, like, yeah, that's the worst thing. But in, in practice, at your job, are you, so that first verse that I read, are you thinking of others, or are you trying to be the best at your position? Not the best at your position in honoring the Lord. That's okay. But the best in your position, but I'm better than the next person. Right? I want the recognition to say, I'm the first. I'm the best at whatever. If you're an administrator, you're like, I'm the best administrator. If you're the best vice president, whatever you are, if you're the best, we, we compete on everything because we want to be number one. Conversely, Jesus says this. This is Mark 10, 42. <clears throat> because Jesus called them to himself and said to them, this is after asking who, are, who is the greatest, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it, sh- yet it should not be so among you. So this among is like us, citizens of heaven, right? But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life a ransom for many. So I need you guys to understand that um, the rules when you belong to heaven are different than the rules when you belong to the world. Right? Our mindset should not be the same. And (laughs) <laughs> here's, here's the rule. I got this from, I, I feel like I should give it. I, I, I'm a, one of the ministries that I'm a part of is the bookstore, and I was uh, vetting a book called Corrupting the Image. And he gave this point that Lucifer was the prettiest, most talented, given the most authority. Before Lucifer became Satan, you would have assumed that when he spoke, he spoke for God almost. You understand? But because he was a citizen of heaven, that requirement meant that he should serve more. It did not mean that we should be saying, oh, he was so pretty. He was, he's, when, 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 when God gave him those attributes, right, he gave him those attributes as a service to others. All right? Conversely, Christ is God. So he is top. There is nothing more. And his entire life is a service only for us. Nothing that he did was for himself. The whole purpose or the whole point is to show his love for us and his desire for us to be back whole for him, with him. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so here it is. I, I want to say one other thing. And this, I'm going to address this to men. Because I'm a man, it's easier to say it this way. I also want you to understand, women, you're not off the hook. I just can't describe it as best because I don't have the experience. Men, you're strong, right? You, you have ability to provide. You have the ability to protect, right? When you, like every man has a man voice. I'm not going to try to pretend to do it now, but you get what I'm saying. All of those attributes, God did not give that to you for you. He gave that to you specifically first for your wife. Then he gave it to 
you and your wife for your children and that family unit to serve in the body. Don't abuse what God has given you or pervert it to change it. Because that's more like Satan than it is like Christ. You guys follow that? When I read that book, I was all messed up because I was like, man, I'm on the wrong side of this a lot. A lot of my behavior is I'm better, I'm pushing to be number one. But I'm not, I'm not pushing for others. I'm not pushing to look out for my brother. So I don't really know what that looks like for a woman, right? Your beauty, your ability to cook, right? Your ability to nurture, right? Well, I just, I say that not to be uh, chauvinistic, but you can manipulate any man through his stomach. <laughs> amen? Men, amen? Right, like it's just, I mean, it's not a secret. Like if you want us to do something, it's pretty easy to get us there, right? All right, so that's, so I'm saying like don't use your God-given powers to manipulate the people that's closest to you is what I'm trying to say. All right, so, um, so if you want to be great, there's a cheat code, right? There is a cheat code that I, I want you guys to understand. I want you, like, you can lean into it or you're not. This is where I'm saying, like, you can't manipulate God, right? But just, I'm going to just put it out for you. Do what you want to do with it. Um, so one of the examples, because, you know, I've been giving you guys sports analogies for, like, five weeks straight, so here's another couple. Just deal with it. Who is the highest paid person on an NFL team? The quarterback. Why is that? It's because he's the distributor of the football. He gives the most. Does that make sense? Right? People say, well, he's in command of the ball, right? But the real thing is that he never, like, you never want your quarterback running with the ball. I mean, I'm traditional, right? You want him to give it to somebody well or pass it to somebody well, and we pay him the most to do that. I'll give you another example. Um, I got some basketball names, all right? Clyde Drexler, Kobe Bryant, James Harden, uh, Jeff Hornacek, Dwayne Wade, Michael Jordan, right? So everybody knows pretty much all those names, right? Uh, There's six people. Five of them are on the NBA's top 75 list. What list is that? That's the shooting guard assist leader. Right? So it's funny that the top six shooting guards, so I'm assuming that means that they're they're not made to be distributors, but they all lead in assist and they're all in the top 75. My last example is kind of silly, but it was the first thing that came to my mind. It's not a sports analogy. When you think of fast food restaurants, what do you think? McDonald's, right? <laughs> Every, even though it's, I'm going to just go ahead and say it's horrible, but McDonald's, right? No. <laughs> okay, I got you. The reason I say McDonald's, which also most of the room said, but under the arches, when I was a kid, it used to say billions and billions served. You follow me? Serving is what makes you great. It's not being served, and you can't change it. (laughs) All right. So I just want to ask the question. I want you to think about this throughout the week. We might not get to pray, guys, today, but uh, who are you being more like? Are you being more like Satan 
where you will be on top of the mountain, king of the hill, right? Or you're being more like Christ where you're helping other people, where you're laying down your life even at every facet, whether it's your family, whether it's um, your work environment, whether it's here at the church. Amen? All right, I'm glad everybody follows it. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's not a lot I want to say here, but you know what this sounds like? A child. When's the last time you've had a conversation that was 100% pure, right? Where you're not looking, you're not reflecting on being hurt in the past, you're not running some numbers in the back of your mind or some scenario, you're not trying to figure it out or be like savvy where you can just be pure, right? I look at my daughters, I've got young kids, if you guys know, and um, I can see the change. Like I've got a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a, a two-year-old. And my two-year-old, she doesn't know that when I ask her for something, I might take it from her. So she gives it to me freely. <laughs> but I can see her starting to understand that like if I want this, I'm, I might not want, I, there's hesitation coming. And she's learning not to, to, to know like this could hurt me. Daddy might take this from me. I want to hold on to it. Um, I had an example here, and I think it's important, so I'm going to say it. Uh, the last time I felt like that, that I can remember, uh, we, I, we had a death in the family, and I had a cousin come stay with me. And me and him had a relationship from the time that we were young all the way until now. <clears throat> and I don't have a lot of family here, so except for you guys, the church is really my family. And we got up. And I said, hey, man, you want to go for a walk with me? And he said, yeah, let's go for a walk. And we got to talking, and it was the first time in a really long time that someone can ask me a question, and I can give them an answer without thinking about it. I was fully known for a moment, and he was fully known, and we trusted each other, right? Now, that's largely because we've got the same last name. We're under the same name, if you want to draw the parallel. We've got the same blood in us. So I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't, like, afraid of what he might do. I wasn't thinking of his motives. He could just ask me, and it was refreshing for somebody to ask me a real question and for me to give them a real answer and not worry about judgment. Just hang out. How many of you guys want that? Right? How many of you guys just want to be able to, to, to talk to somebody and, like, let me give you an example. If I stood up here and said that I did something wrong, you guys would run and tell Pastor Kevin immediately, <laughs> right? I mean, really wrong. Like if I said I did an eight ball this morning. I did not. <laughs> but I just, I'm trying to push it here, right? You guys would be like, uh-uh, no way. No way. I'm telling right now. But we all want somebody. That's, I'm, trying, I'm pushing it to extreme on purpose. Who can you talk to? You can talk to Christ, but it's a reason why we're in a room together right now. So 
Remember, we're, we're putting our own interest. What's the other verse? I'm messing it up, but I'm, I'm paraphrased because I've read too many versions at this point. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Right? So the only way this works out is if you become that person for somebody else first. Right? You've got to be able to listen to someone else give you their worst so that you can be pure and peaceable and that person will have the ability to be fully known. It's refreshing. All right. Chapter four. Everybody there? Verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they come from your desire? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? that war in your members, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Remember James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. All right, so it should be on deck here. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when his desires have conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death all right so reading that verse and understanding this one i want to talk about asking first says you do not have because you do not ask. So what do we ask for? What should we ask for? This is super important to me. All right. So Calvary Chapel in general, especially this one. So if you've got like crusty dry and uh, spirit-filled Pentecostal, we're like right in the middle. I think that's a fair assessment of Calvary Chapel. We like play it right in the middle of the road. But from time to time, I feel like on different subjects, we could, we could waver one way or the next. So um, this would be normal for Calvary Chapel. I'm going to read you Matthew uh, 6, 9. This is uh, the model prayer, or some would call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, Matthew nine, or 6, 9 through 13, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, here it is. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, I mean, forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is your kind of middle of the road chronic prayer. So this is something that you probably do every day in some form or fashion. And you should be doing it every day. And I have no objections with this. However, when I look at the context back in James, it says, where do your wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? So he's not talking about contextually. I don't think like he's talking about your daily bread. Verse 2 says, you lust and do not have. You 
you murder and covet and cannot obtain. So you want something you don't have and you fight in war. But that last verse is a tricky one there. It says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. So that would give the impression that you could have had it, but you just got to ask. So um, everybody turn to Matthew uh, 14, 22 to 29. Or 14, yeah, yeah. 14, 22 to 29. If you're there, say amen, please. All right. <clears throat> immediately, this is Jesus walking on the water. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come, and when Peter come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I could have picked any other section, right? There's lots of other stories I debated about um, Samson and the donkey, donkey's jawbone. Uh, I debated about uh, uh, Joshua telling the sun to stand still, but I got... I want you guys to see and admit that this request from Peter to come to the Lord in the middle of a storm and walk on water is ridiculous. I want you guys to see that. Like, we've heard this story over and over and over, so it appears to be normal, right? But you're in a boat. You're with 12 disciples. I mean, these are the, like, the, the fathers of the church, right? Jesus is walking on the water. He says, it's me, and he's... His, his brain says, if it is you, don't come to the boat. Let me come to you. You guys follow that? That's an unreasonable request. All right? Can you, can, amen? It's, re, it's ridiculous. What does the Lord say? Come on, let's go. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what you can do. So, the... We, ex we, we ask things from the person that we're asking for based on what we expect their ability to do. Does that make sense? So Peter's mindset is different because his God is, is different than maybe your God. It shouldn't be, but for Peter, it's not ridiculous. This is Jesus. I want to walk on the water too. Tell me to come out there with you. I want to be with you, Lord. I'm sold out. It's not a, it's a lot of people don't have that in them. The other 11 or however many was on the boat, they didn't have it. But Peter had it. I'm trying to, I want you guys to have it as well. 
So the example is this. Um, say you're in my house and you saw my daughter timidly come outside and um, kind of shake her head and said, Dad, you know, um, can I have some milk? Can I have a crust of bread? Right? The whole time I'm at church telling you guys how awesome dad I am, I'm just the best dad ever, everything, you know, I love my kids, blah, blah, blah. But you come to my house and you see my daughter say, uh, can, can I have some milk, please? You would look at me and be like, what kind of dad are you really, Davon? What's going on there? Is the MO in your house that, that, that you don't give out water or milk or bread? Is that, is that how you run your house? This, it sounds funny. Hebrews says this. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need, right? All I'm going to say is somehow our prayers, our requests, they somehow make it to the throne room of God. What's in the throne room of God? Angels, a host, right? You in God's house. What kind of, if, if your request made it up to the Lord in front of the Lord's people, how are they looking at Jesus? Are they looking at him like, man, how you treat your kids? See, it was funny when it was about me, but when it's about your, when it's about your request to God, are you barely saying like, Lord, I, I think I could just barely make it. I just, Peter went big. He said, Lord, I need to come out to you right now. I need to be where you are. And he didn't think it was ridiculous. So let's be a skeptic. You can say, does that mean I can ask for anything? You can't ask for anything. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. You can ask for anything. Um, can I have just whatever I want? Devon, you're saying you need to ask big, right? Am I saying just like, let's all ask for Lamborghinis and millions of dollars? Is that what I'm saying? It's not what I'm saying. What James says, verse, uh, verse 3 says, you ask, so we got past the asking part, and you do not receive because you ask amiss. So it's not the magnitude of what we're asking for, right? So here's the thing. We stop asking because we've been told no, not understanding that we've been told no because we're not asking properly. We associate the no with the magnitude of the thing because we want to do it in our strength. Not understanding, um, I don't have to give it to you guys, but not understanding that God's desire is to work through us to show that he is God. He wants to do the big thing, right? When uh, Moses got to the Red Sea, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would come after you so that he will know that I am God. God wanted to part the Red Sea. Matter of fact, my, my belief is that God raised Pharaoh up because Pharaoh was too small they might have thought Moses did it. So he had to build up Israel. I mean, Israel. He had to build up Egypt just to smash them so that you would understand, like, oh, a God must have done that. You understand? So if God wants to do that, how should we ask? I'm going to turn the... You guys can turn it with me. We're running out of time, so... but. Let's, let's turn there to uh, John 
6. Again, there's many, many, many other, but I, I want you guys to see Jesus as the example. <clears throat> Amen. You there? Amen. All right. Pick it up at verse three. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Mark gives it like this. It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for himself, for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach with many things. That's the trick. I'm going to cut to the chase. Is that when we ask, we ask amiss, because we don't ask in line with the will of the Lord or what God wants to do. And we ask for ourselves. Verse 6 says this. But this, by this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he was about to do. Because Jesus, God wants to do it. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may have a little. So what he's saying, that there's, was, was, this is 5,000 people. Most men had a wife. Most families had two kids. So five times, four, probably 20,000 people there. It's Passover, so that, that's an easy number to get to. Uh, he's saying it costs like $40,000 to feed these people. 40, 50, 60 grand. He's like, there's no way we can do that. What Philip did was qualify the request is now big enough to you know that they weren't walking around with a whole year's worth of pay in the pouch. So now you can see God move. You understand? So when you're asking for someone else, ask big, ask more than what you can do. You understand? And this is, the, this is usually the result of that. Um, I've, James 4.3 says, I'm, let me read it to it. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. It doesn't say that you won't have any pleasures. It just says the reason why you are asking is so that you spend it on your own pleasures. Uh, Mark 8.19 and 20 says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did, did you take up? They said to him, 12. He said, also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So did you think that when they fed 
if we're doing the math right, I don't know, 40,000 people that they were hungry at the end of the day. Do you think that happened? No. Their bellies were full. They were happy. They were joyful. They had the pleasures, but it wasn't in trying to um, satisfy themselves. It was in the service of others. Does that make sense? Another thing I want to say, notice that they were full of bread and fish. One of the ministries I serve at is the bookstore. I've got tons of books at home. I get books for free all the time. Books I don't even want. People give me books all the time. When you're serving, you tend to have more of whatever that ministry is. I give y'all books all the time. Say, read them for me, right? They get them for free. They don't have to, they probably don't want them, but they, they get them anyway because that's part of, that's part of the ministry. So you, if you find yourself in lack, like what ministry are you in? How have you aligned yourself in the will of the Lord and then seeking for your brother or your sister or for the church? So I got really just two main points for that. Ask big but ask for the benefit of others and see what God does. So we've got like five, it's 8.06. Let's just do this because I want you guys to ask big now, right? Because if I let you go, you'll say, oh man, that was a great teaching. I really enjoyed that part, but you won't ever do it. I hate to be like that, but Let's do it now. Are you guys willing to pray? Now, I want you guys to pray on one accord. Because right now, if I say, hey, I want you guys to get in small groups and pray for something bigger than yourself, but for others, how many of you guys would have a hard time with that? You're probably thinking in your mind, like, what would I pray for out loud in front of people that I don't know? That's bigger for others. And and that's a problem. You should should know, like, I want to pray for this, for someone. All right. So I want, I want to open this up, and we can just do corporate prayer. I'm, I'm going to call out the men. I want you guys to lead. I'm going to open up, and I want, I want someone in here to lead. But I want us to ask for two things. I want us to pray that we can be the greatest servants to our community on the move. Right? We're moving to a different location, slightly different in the Community, I want us to pray that we will serve that community well, that move will honor the Lord. That church building has needs. And this is not, I'm not asking for money. I'm not doing anything like that. Just know that we're moving over there and we need stuff. I also want you guys to pray that God's hand would be in that, that he would provide over and above, and that it will be clear that it's him that provides for the needs of that church. That it's not us providing for it. Now, he may work through us in in circumstance, but I want it to be clear that it's him. Is that fair? So I'm going to open this up. The clock's up here, and we'll stop. We'll do it for seven minutes. You guys with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are our Father and you are great and you are mighty, Lord. Lord, we ask that um, you've already told us to move, 
You've already established a place for us, Lord. Lord, we pray that um, as we move over there in that location, Lord, that you would get the honor and the glory, but that we're a service to those people in the, the community, the, the people who may not know us, um, the people who may not know you, to be more specific, Lord, and that through us, we can serve them. We could, we could serve each other in the body, but that, but that love would spill out and pour out into every community, every business, everyone that you would draw to us, Lord. Lord, that building has needs. It needs chairs. It needs toiletry. It needs fountains. It needs, it needs, it needs, it needs, it needs. You are our Father and our provider, Lord. I pray that you will open up the gates of heaven and pour it in, into that building, Lord. Not so much for us, but that that place will be a beacon and a light for you. Lord, I pray for each individual here as they, they, they hear my voice, Lord, that they would, that they would, Gird up their loins and be a part of that church in boldness, seeking you, seeking a way um, to use the gift that you've already given them, the spiritual blessings that you've already placed in them, the, the works that you've already laid out for them, Lord. Lord, so we ask that you do an amazing work, Lord, and that we can be a part of it with you. In Jesus' name. season, Lord. <clears throat> I pray that our sanctuary is open and bestowing for those new visitors that may come in, Lord, that they may hear your word and hear it uninterrupted, Lord. Uh, I pray that our, our children's ministry continues to grow, Lord, uh, to bring that new generation 
into a, a season of knowing you, Lord, and, and continue to grow in your word that you may not have had before. Uh, and all other ministries that may grow out of it, medical ministry, food ministry, and so on, you know, all, all that you may put into our heart, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that all of these things are done first in your name, Lord, not, not to give any of us glory, but to give the glory to you who have given it to, to for us to do in your name, Lord. And I pray for us to continue to stay strong. I pray for our leadership and our, our pastors and our families and all of our members that we have here, Lord, to continue to stay strong, even through the season change, uh, where we may find times of weakness, Lord, so that we may continue to make through the transition. And uh, in Jesus, we, we pray for it in, in your name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the body that you've given us. And Jesus, you say in Ephesians 4 that you put people in positions, that you are, the, you appoint people in roles that are edifying to the body, to build each other up, and not for their own glory or our own glory, but God, for your glory, because you put them in the position, you give them the gifts, and whether whatever it be, I pray that we are all just a living sacrifice to you and that we get out of our own way and that we just serve you with open arms and yes. that we don't deal in partiality, that we love one another, that we serve one another, that we lift each other up to you and that we pray for one another, that we weep together, that we are in joy together, that we come alongside one another with every need that needs to be met and that we can call a brother, call a sister in times of trouble or times of just rejoicing to share in the joy and the faith and the living hope that we have in you every day that we wake up, you give us a breath of life to be with our family that you've given us for eternity, our brothers and sisters together. I'm so thankful for all that you've done in throughout history for eternity, for your purpose, for your pleasure, and for all your glory. You deserve it all and nobody else. I'm just so thankful. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, bringing us together, Lord. I pray that this word just marinates with us and that um, we can truly put it to practice, put it to action, Lord, that um, day by day we begin to resemble you more and more. We draw closer. We draw, we draw near to you, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.